listening to By the Well, a lectionary-based podcast for preachers recorded on the land of the Wurundjeri people. Hello, I'm Robin Whittaker. And I'm Howard Wallace. And we are talking about the readings for Pentecost Week 3 or Ordinary 11, which is Genesis 18, 1 to 15, Romans chapter 5, verses 1 to 8, and the Gospel reading from Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 to chapter 10, verse 8. And just a note before we get into the Genesis reading, um, a few years ago the lectionary people in their mythical processes um, did some tweaking. So some lectionaries will give you an alternate for the Old Testament or Hebrew Bible reading, but we are following... Um, the sort of what they call the continuous or semi-continuous. So we are now entering a period of the lectionary year where we have a string of Genesis, if preachers want to sit with that. We've already begun. We have a whole string of Romans coming up, and of course we are back after the sort of Lent and Easter season into back solidly into Matthew's Gospel. So we're kind of sitting with a few strands now, which I find comforting, but invites you to think about preaching series in a different way as well. But Genesis 18, 1 to 15, Howard, uh, tell us where we are in Genesis. Yes. <laughs> Give us some. Well, this is the third week we've looked passages from Genesis. We started with Genesis chapter 1, the great story of creation, and then we moved over to the story of Abraham from chapter 12, um, and we're moving on from that, and we'll cover most of the story of Abraham, but with some major omissions, and that's one we already meet today because we've jumped from Genesis chapter 12 through to chapter 18. Yep. And actually the story at 18, which is about the three visitors coming to to meet Abraham, talk a little bit more in a moment, um, really picks up from where chapter 13 left off when Abraham had arrived at the Oaks of Mamre near Mm. Hebron in the south of the Promised Land. Uh, We've missed out some important passages in between, um, various stories, especially chapters 15 uh, and 17, which are the two great passages about God creating a covenant with Abraham, um, which sort of becomes a basis for his uh, promises that he's already given in chapter 12. Although the promises continue, there are a number of references to it through those chapters. So we've got quite a strong um, emphasis on the continuation of the promise um, that's there when this episode um, occurs. These uh, three visitors coming to Abraham as he's camped um, near Hebron. This this passage is quite a well-known one. In fact, um, we often know it through the the icon of Rublev and so-called Trinitarian sort of icon where the three visitors in Rublev's um, Christianising of the the passage uh, are read as Father, Son and Holy Spirit. That's right. But uh, the passage is really quite vague about, well, vague to some extent um, about who's involved in this. Mm. It's, It's interesting to note that right at the very beginning we're told in verse 1 that the Lord appeared to Abraham. So we know at the start that it's God is, is appearing and, that, yeah. and uh, these other two, one presumes might be messengers, angels or Yeah, some kind of accompanying yes. beings. But then the story moves on and as uh, Abraham greets these visitors, um, the narrator 
moves to referring to them as men. Yeah. So we can understand Abraham's uh, misunderstanding of of who his Mm. visitors are. But then when you get to the end of the passage, almost the end in verses 13 and 14, we're back to references to the Lord speaking, in this case to Sarah and to Abraham. Now, we as English readers of our Bibles can sort of see the distinction here, although sometimes we might sort of flip over it. We'll notice that in verse 1, the word Lord is all in capitals, although O-R-D is in small caps, um, and that's picked up again in verse 13 and and 14. But in the middle, when Abraham refers to the person that he's mostly speaking to as Lord, we have little L-O-R-D. My Lord. Yep. Yes, and these Lord. are different Hebrew words, right? Yes, yes, yeah. they're different Hebrew words. Well, they're related. <laughs> yes. But clearly um, the writing in the Hebrew marks out in chapter, in verse 1, sorry, in verse 13 and 14, that the way the Lord is written, it's meant to be the divine name. Yes. We often might hear of it as Yahweh, which is the way the old Jerusalem Bible mm. um, Sometimes transliterated <laughs> as Jehovah. Right. Well, yes, or, there's a yeah, long yeah. history but of yes, and misreading there. Yes, and <laughs> partly because for Jews it's such mm. a holy name you wouldn't yes, say no, it. So no, yeah. um, the Lord is a, in all caps. That's is a actually the way respect. it was written. Yes. Um, meant not to be pronounced. Yes. <laughs> um, and said. Uh, and we don't really quite know how it was pronounced. Pronounced, yeah. yep. yep. Uh, so there is a way in which the the writer lets us know who's visiting Abraham but doesn't let Abraham know. So then we see all this hustle and bustle by Abraham in the middle of getting everything ready. I guess he's proving to be a, a great host. Um, all of this sort of goes along quite well in terms of the, the context. And it, we, I mean, we get this in Genesis a bit. I'm thinking of the Jacob wrestling God in the night and, mm. you know, where, where the identity of the yes, visitor, yes, whether it's yeah. God, divine yeah, God, yeah. or an angelic visitor or a man who gets yes. revealed as God, mm-hmm. is sometimes very unclear mm. or sometimes gets revealed in the process. And as you say in this story, we as readers know something that Abraham that and doesn't. Sarah yeah. do not. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but and the other thing yeah. that's going on in Genesis, I think, is rather really interesting, um, especially in the Abraham narratives, God is very active in, in the narratives. Yes. But by the time we move through to the Joseph stories at the very end, God is what we might say, behind the scenes, not mm. not operating More as a sort character of transcendent in the story. A bit, yes, yeah, yes. yes. So there's this sort of sense of God moving through from a very active participant to mm. what we might sort of see as, as the way God is now, sort of not seen visibly and not acting uh, overtly. Yeah, and not sort of taking on mm. human form in no, quite this no, way where no. he could be... He, she could be mistaken for yes, a man yes. in the story. But then the story moves on mm. um, to the visitor saying in verse 9, uh, well, asking where Sarah is, and she's in the tent, which is where good wives in that context were supposed mm. to be. Mm. Um, and Abraham says that's where she is. Um, she's listening, of course. Yes. Uh, I guess and having visitors in the middle yes, of nowhere, oh, of course, it's, yes. it's a big deal. So. Yes, it is a big deal. <laughs> yeah. um, and he, the, the stranger, the visitor, reiterates the promise um, mm. that Sarah um, will have a son. 
Um, now, this is quite amusing to, to Sarah, uh, who realises that she's getting old, possibly yep. well beyond uh, a childbearing age. Abraham is not young either. No. Um, and so this causes her some amusement, which is heard by the visitor and uh, picked up um, and asking why did she laugh. Now, this might seem an amusing little element, but it's actually yeah. all about the fulfilment of the, the promise itself because the Hebrew word laugh is tzakak, mm. and Isaac's name is based on that verb, yitzkak. Yes. Isaac. So laughter. even in the, the laughter that she puts forth um, and that she denies <laughs> uh, yeah. in the end, um, again, we're... We're having the promise reiterated. And that's why the uh, lectionary people have included 21, 1 to 7 as a possible addition to, mm, to finish to the, the story reading, a because bit. That's yeah. when Isaac is like, and you see la- um, Sarah laughing again in chapter yeah. 21, but it's the joy of bearing a son, bearing a child. Um, and her laughter here is not to be, well, I don't think to be seen as a sort of an untrusting sort of laughter. But it's a, a laughter of incredulity. How can I yeah. do this? Well, I've wondered, I mean, because she then denies it, perhaps out of fear or respect, yeah. you know, it, mm. um, it, it raises a question. But I have heard very cynical readings of, you know, this means Sarah's unfaithful or something. Mm. I mean, yeah, it, I could, <laughs> it could be a bursting mm. forth, forth of kind of joy but also yeah. incredulity of how is this yeah. possible but the possibility is mm. – you know, wonderful. Yes. Um, so we should think about as we read and tell these stories, um, you know, th- th- there's a subtlety in the way we can communicate is the laughter. Are we, are we bringing in our own cynicism or are we, you know, yes. ha- what, what, yes. what emotion do we think might actually yeah. accurately reflect it's, the text? Yes, and, it's certainly not to be sort of seen as some problem with Sarah. No. In that I, I think she is facing a problem that we all face. You know, yeah. she has this promise which – brings joy and hope and all the yeah. rest of it. Um, and yet, on the other hand, she sees no human way in which this is going to be fulfilled. Yeah. And and as you say, the, the backstory, the context here is so important because this has been years and years and years mm-hmm. of waiting yes. and of Abraham and Sarah attempting their own solution in mm-hmm. the, oh, yes. the child are, through Hagar and Ishmael. There are Ishmael. more than just one yeah, solution yeah. that they've prone. I mean, there, yeah. there's, at the beginning there's... Lot who's around, yes, who could be the source of a great nation for Abraham as a re- close relative, but he disappears. Yeah, um, and then they propose Eliezer, one of their servants, to be the yeah. heir, and that, and then they'll become in in a few weeks' time. We'll read about Hagar, um, Sarah's servant, being offered to Abraham as sort of a surrogate. In that context, yeah. but that too gets dismissed, and we know we've, we've missed chapter thirteen. But if we go back and read it, we'll find quite clearly in there that Sarah is going to be the one through whom the promise will be fulfilled, and we know that quite clearly from chapters twelve and thirteen. Yeah, that's right. The other mm. thing I noticed reading—I mean, there's a couple of things I noticed rereading this very familiar story. The one is that the visitors stop. We read it very quickly and there's drama mm. here. Um, we miss, I think, in the translation a little bit um, when Abraham sees them 
you know, we get this hine, this behold, yes, like, a, yes, you know, yeah. the NRSV is, smooths a, that over a bit. But the whole preparing of a meal, the going to Sarah, get out mm. the bread, killing yep. a calf. Uh, I mean, yes, takes this time. takes hours. <laughs> yeah. This is not a quick passing visit. No, this is, no. you know, mm. significant time. But the other thing I was reading about that I'd never noticed before is in verse 14, is anything too wonderful for yes. the Lord, is the NRSV. Mm. It's the old this, King James, anything too hard. Yes, yeah, yeah. but it's this verb, pala or pele, um, mm. and the other places this gets used in the Hebrew Bible is for God's wondrous deeds, mm. like yep. liberation yes. from Exodus yes. and yes. the parting yes. of the Red Sea. So there's something amazing here about what seems like a very domestic scene mm. of a what, what we'll see in the Hebrew Bible mm. is actually a pretty ongoing theme of barren or sterile women mm. having babies. Mm-hmm. Um, but something quite domestic and quite sort of almost seems not that insignificant is framed in the same way as the giant yes. saving yes. acts of yes. God like liberation yes. from slavery. There's a oneness uh, in it too. Yeah. And, and even the, the promise is that he might become a great nation. Of course, we know in reading this text, it's through the blessing of Abraham that nations will be blessed. Yes. So there's something quite universal going on here. Yeah. And we're uh, going to see that picked up and not picked up mm, in Matthew mm, <laughs> too. Yes, yes. Yep. Well, shall we move on? Yes. Okay, we're going to go to Romans chapter 5, 1 to 8 next. Did you know you could join our Facebook group, By the Well, for extra content and discussion? So we enter Romans sort of midway through Paul's argument um, in, in chapter before this, we've had Paul evoke the Abraham and Sarah story as an example of faithfulness and as an example of, um, you know, in 4.18, hoping against hope. So Abraham is seen as this exemplar of hope. And and also the work that that story does in Paul's argument is a reminder that God fulfills God's promises. So all of that is mm. sitting in the background yeah. of where mm-hmm. we pick up in Chapter 5 with this, therefore, since we're justified through faith, we have peace with God, and this sort of moving forward into this hope. And we'll talk maybe in a moment about endurance and hope. But one of the things, Howard, that struck me is this language of boasting yes. here. What's right? it mean? <laughs> exactly. I mean, we think of boasting as sort of puffing oneself up. Yeah, it's a bad thing, right? Yes. We want to, yes, particularly in Australia, case. we knock, we knock down. Yes, yes. Um, But there is something here, if you look at verse 2 and the logic of Paul, you know, we've obtained this grace, not because of anything we've done, by the way, because Mm. of what God has done. Um, And so we boast in our hope. There's a sense of we we confidently speak, if you like. It's an element of joy, I think, almost. I think so, yeah. Yeah. Or um, Mm. other translation possibilities, which might seem more negative to some hearers, are things like brag or take mm. pride in, mm. right? But it does have this sense yeah. of, you know, th- this is something to grasp with some sense of joy. And yes, yeah. yes, I think so. Um, in the ties way that, us back yeah, to yeah. Abraham and Sarah. Too. Okay, tell me more. <laughs> well, I, I, I think it does. It sort of takes us back to Sarah's laughter and that. And what does that laughter mm. indicate? You know? Yeah. Um, and our boasting is is not in our own works in this sort of context, but it's a, a joy in what another has done for us, namely God in Christ. 
Yes. Mm. Yep, and that's the basis for mm-hmm. hope. Um, the other the other thing that I think is it also kind of almost echoes what, what Paul does here is almost a summary of, of the kind of Abraham and Sarah's yes, story yes. that um, we don't just boast um, in the hope of sharing God's glory but also in our sufferings or tribulations yes. is our another weaknesses, th- our weaknesses, as Paul says in verse 6. Yes, yeah. um, <clears throat> and that that produces endurance and character. Mm-hmm. So we get this logic of kind of how... And you know, in their story, it's the yes, waiting yes. is the suffering, the waiting and the not knowing, yes. and the um, you know that produces the sense of endurance. And there's something here about hope. Hope only comes because there is not hope, or the possi- right. Mm. I mean, these mm-hmm. are two sides of a coin. That At least on our side, there's yes, hope. yeah. Hope, hope is. Um, there's a philosopher. At ACU who talks about this, David Neuheiser, Heiser, who's talked about hope in a secular age, and he he talks about how hope is the other side of the coin to despair, mm-hmm. right? So to talk about hope coming out of suffering seems yeah. perhaps odd yes, to a comfortable yes. Westerner, it does, yes. <laughs> but actually it's precisely because of suffering mm. we hope. Mm. We don't hope when we have everything. If we yes. are utterly yeah. comfortable yeah. and have all, all our needs fulfilled – there's almost nothing left mm. to hope for, which is its own problem in the Western world. And I see a tie back to, to Genesis again because mm. it, we started off. <coughs> excuse me, we started off with Genesis chapter one mm. a couple of weeks ago, and then moved through twelve and now to eighteen. Um, and there's a real sense, I think, in chapter one about humans as creatures of, of God. We are mm. have to need to recognise our position within the, the grand sort of scheme of things, that we are God's creatures and comes with that yeah. a certain level of weakness and limitation, etc. Yeah. And it's out of that recognition <clears throat> of creatureliness that we may hope, but our hope is beyond ourselves. Yep, that's right. And it's, um, <coughs> and it's out of <coughs> our... Our own insufficiency or um, inability to mm. address the things. Yes. You know, Abraham and Sarah couldn't do anything by themselves. No, no. Um, Paul ends this bit that the lectionary's given us. It's not the end of his argument, but you know, with that reference to God proves God's love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died. That classic yes. verse. But again, there's a sense of God doing something despite us and for us, not because we've earned it or not because yeah. yes. In, in our creatureliness, if to use yes. that language, yeah. Yes, I think there's a temptation. I mean, these are rather well-known verses through mm. here. There's a temptation to see Christ in, as the focus, and that's true, but yeah. it's also about the nature of humanity and, yeah. and our hope. <coughs> yes. So <coughs> I, I think this pairs quite nicely with Genesis if preachers mm. were to pick up a theme of, you know, what does it mean to wait for hopes yes. that the – Many churches are struggling with what their future looks like. I think it speaks to all of those kinds of concerns and anxieties. And the the peace that's offered to us too. It's a a peace that is there even in suffering, as Paul says. Yep. So let's turn to Matthew's Gospel now. (coughs) If you'd like to know more about By the Well or any of our hosts, please visit bythewell.com.au. So the lectionary gives us Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 to 10, 8, with the possibility of keeping reading um, in 10, 9 to 23, 
which is a very big chunk of text. So Howard and I are just going to really focus on the yes. the main bit, I think, <laughs> in the interest of time. Uh, Howard, what did mm. you notice or what would you What like? did I notice? Well, I mean, just a simple thing where, especially from 10, 1 on, we're at the start of a speech that Jesus is making to his disciples, which goes on to the nature of their mission and what they're likely to encounter mm. um, with some rather harsh words that will be coming up over the next few weeks yeah. too. Um, I mean, I think there are two things that sort of stood out to me, well, maybe three. Um, there is a sense in which the mission of the disciples is a continuation of Jesus's mission. Definitely. Um, and I think that's not something to be passed over quickly. Uh but then beyond that, uh, I was a little puzzled about what is the nature of the authority that is given to uh, mm. the disciples? I mean, here it's in terms of healing the sick and raising the dead and cleansing lepers, etc., which are the big things that Jesus is reported to have done. Yep. Um, but we don't do those sort of things. <laughs> well, not unless yeah. you're a medical doctor or something. Um, so there's a question of what's the nature of that authority for, mm. for most disciples, I'd say, yeah. And then also, why do we not include the Gentiles at this point? I mean, he's quite sort of specific. Jesus, is he being racist? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and, and th- yeah. This, is a, this is a theme in Matthew we have to contend with. I mm. mean, Matthew's gospel. So we have echoing for those who've been in church the last couple of weeks. At Pentecost, or Trinity Sunday, mm-hmm. sorry, we had mm. the Matthew Great Commission, Matthew yes. 28, go out mm. and make disciples of all nations. nations. Yes. So Matthew gets there. Mm, he does. <laughs> but at this point, we have, and early in Matthew's gospel, we very much have a sense of Jesus came to the house of Israel mm. first. Mm-hmm. And I think it's because he's so steeped in that Abrahamic covenant mm. of, um, and of course there are numerous different covenants in the Hebrew Bible, but the Abrahamic one that, you know, it is Israel that will be the blessing and yes, through yes, Israel God yes, will bless the yes. nations. So it's kind of, for Matthew, it's like we can't put Israel aside. It's always right, through right. Israel that yes. this will happen. And, and I think I think that helps us because Genesis itself is an interesting sort of book if we look at, ask ourselves the question, what's the relation of Israel to the nations? I mean, they are the source of blessing and yet there is no enmity created with any of the other smaller nations that no. are mentioned, um, the Edomites and the Moabites, etc., etc., and yet you get to the Book of Deuteronomy and everybody's yeah. an enemy of Israel. Yes, yeah, you so start to get different. the borders, yes, the borders yes. closing down, and and Matthew will well, he'll get there. But I mean, in in Matthew's gospel, particularly at this point, the Gentiles are the negative example. They're the kind of mm. straw man. Mm. Um, you know, he'll talk about in other passages, don't be like the Gentiles whose rulers lord it mm. over them mm. or don't be like the Gentiles when you pray. Um, so he definitely, mm. there is some antagonism there and where this passage keeps going, you will talk about going out amongst wolves. So there's mm. some hostility that might reflect wider cultural mm. hostilities for this author and this community. But I think it helps too to have an echo of the Old Testament background particularly around the sheep-shepherd language. Mm -hmm. And I don't love the translation in the NRSV in verse 36 that talks about um, Jesus had compassion. This is this kind of moved in his gut word Mm. that we get at a few key points for the crowds because they were – the NRSV has because they were harassed and helpless. Um, Other versions, if we go back to the New King James or American Standard 
version will have um, language about distressed and scattered. Mm. Mm. I prefer scattered as an image for the sheep here mm. because I think yeah. the the passage sitting behind this is Ezekiel 34, yes. which talks about how the leaders have of Israel have effectively failed because yes. they haven't fed the sheep, sheep. and mm. the sheep are scattered. Mm. Mm. Um, so there's hard words here, but there's also this image of regathering Israel mm. um, yes. that is yes. quite a yes. kind of... Um, I guess caring image in some ways. Uh, well, it's what. Well, in in terms of the Old Testament, it's what kings were supposed yes. to do. Yes, and of they course they were the shepherds yeah. of the sheep. Yeah, and of course in Matthew's gospel, <laughs> Jesus is very much a a mess, messiah in the line of yes. David, yes. so a royal yes. a royal yes. messiah. Um, the other image is this harvest image um, in verse thirty seven and thirty eight, and and harvest imagery in the New Testament can be imagery of judgment and the eschaton, so often mm. used in scenes of, you know, dividing the wheat and the chaff type stuff. But it also is image of fruitfulness. Mm. So, uh, you know, I've been in church contexts recently where there can be real lament about the fact mainstream yes, churches yes. are declining, we're actually running out of clergy in some parts of my denomination. Um, uh, and so this this language, if there's a plentiful harvest out there, there's there's people to hear the good news, but mm. our labourers mm. are few, is an interesting image to sit with, I think, for the yes. contemporary yes. church yes. Um, and maybe play with. Yeah, still, it's still there's the question for me of what's the nature of the authority that yeah. Jesus gives. I mean, one thing I read sort of the, th- the authority could be linked to the compassion itself. Yeah. What, what is the nature in which you approach this, this task out of love? Out of compassion, and mm. care. Well, I mean, I would, even though this is directed initially to the twelve, in Matthew's gospel they are called disciples, except for in this one verse in ten two where they're named apostles, so sent ones. But Matthew mostly likes language of disciples. So the authority I would firstly say here is the authority of all disciples, not mm-hmm. yes special ordained oh, yes, people. Yes. <laughs> um, but I think it is about imitating Jesus, although it, to go to your mm. question, Howard, it begs the question, how do we imitate Jesus? Because we're not putting on sandals, walking around Galilee no. and exorcising demons. No. So what does imitating Jesus look like in the contemporary world, whether you're in an urban environment or a suburban mm. or rural? Um, I think to come back to that compassion and that sense of gathering the people, gathering the sheep, yes. yes. um, recognising... Um, the work to do there and and the healing. I would take this metaphorically when we mm. talk about you know oh, yes. healing every disease mm. and sickness. Well, it's about bringing life. The good news is life, life yeah. producing. Right? Yes. What does yeah. what does that look like? And yeah, I don't know. How how I do you? Re- I don't think, think scripture intends us to be literalists. No, because <laughs> it itself so. is not a literalist. It is <laughs> in not. That sort no of context. No, in so these we've New got Testament to ask these yeah. sort of questions yeah. again. You know? We do, we do. Um, so, I mean, that could be an interesting theme to pick up well, in your context as a preacher. Mm-hmm. I also thought this could be an interesting Sunday to therefore talk about vocation and call. Yes. Yeah. The, you know, this harvest is plentiful, the labourers are few. Well, who, who's being called into some kind of specific ministry mm-hmm. um, and what does that look like? I, and I, even asking question about who are the demons that need to be cast out. Yes, Yes, I mean metaphorically, uh, there are plenty of demons within our society. That's right. Yes, mm. so if we think of demons as representers, it 
of sort of evil forces, yes. unexplained oh, yes. evil, but we would now locate that in systems of oppression and injustice. Perception. And, yep, yeah. yep. So where where is that work? You know, for me, imitating Jesus is a combination of that sort of classic phrase of comfort the afflicted and afflict the mm. comfortable, which mm-hmm. is maybe mm. the casting out of demons bit. Yes. Um, and and proclaiming the kingdom of God is near, and the yes. kingdom of God is about good news. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Is there anything else we want to no. pick up on in the? I mean, you could uh, you could connect Matthew again, even back to Genesis, mm-hmm. if you wanted to do something yes. thematic. Um, I don't know what you would preach this week, Howard, if you were preaching. Oh, I think I'd be sort of tending to stick with the Romans and the and, and the, the Genesis, Genesis, yeah, and about. About our weakness and yet the nature of our very hope, yeah, which which does apply actually to the to the mission of the twelve too. I mean, yes, in terms yeah. of who they are, yep, um, as disciples, but also as very ordinary people as they're portrayed in the in the gospel. Yes, yeah, um, they're, they're and not, yet yep. they're given this authority. Yeah, how we define that, and that yeah, this authority mm-hmm. and this calling, and mm-hmm. the calling is to go yeah. out. Right, yes. this is. Like Abraham journeyed out, mm. there's something about out of our comfort yes. zones and out, out. But it also relates back to the peace that Paul's mm. talking about in Romans. You know, what's the nature of that peace yep. that can overcome our weakness and our suffering? Great. Mm. Thank you, everyone. By the Well is brought to you by Pilgrim Theological College and the Uniting Church in Australia. It's produced by Adrian Jackson. Thanks for listening.